This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, folks, and thanks for tuning in to AOA. We've got a lot going on today, and I wanted to start yesterday. I promised we'd be talking to Senator Charles Grassley today on the program. I did get a note from his team here about 15 minutes ago. He's not going to be able to join us on the show today. The executive committee of the judiciary is meeting actually right now to mark up a couple of Senator Grassley's bills. So he had to stay in D.C. to take care of that. We will get him on the show here in a little over a week. So stay tuned and we'll be talking to Senator Grassley. We are going to be talking to Chris Edgington, president of the NCGA, about WOTUS. Those conversations continue in D.C. He'll join me in just a minute. Then we'll hear from Scott Gerlt, the economist at the American Soybean Association. He's talking about the economics of soy this winter. And I'm going to pick his brain about just how those economics look as 2022 really gets underway. Segment three, we are going to be talking to Jackie Fatka, the policy editor for Farm Progress. She is keeping an eye on everything happening in D.C. So even though the senator couldn't join us, we'll still get a D.C. update today. And finally, at the end of the show, we'll hear from Greg Solier and wonder when this cold weather is going to pass us by here in the Corn Belt. But let's get started first. Chris Edgington on Tuesday had the chance to uh, testify in front of the EPA about WOTUS. He's the president of the National Corn Growers Association. Chris, thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. My pleasure, Mike. My pleasure. Bring us up to speed. What did you tell EPA when you had the chance to really bend their ear on WOTUS on Tuesday? Well, basically, we tried to tell them, don't change what we already have in place. Um, You know, the rules have been changed enough, and, and in 2020, we we had a rule that came out of the EPA that, that agriculture could work with, um, you know, and work with our local agencies and federal and state state organizations. And, and now they're wanting to come back in and, and use things like significant nexus to give them much broader powers and, and go back to trying to be able to regulate my, my local um, uh, ditch um, after it rains or the ponding that, that might stand in a field once a year if they get a big rain event. And, you know, going back to the way overreach of, of what is navigable. And, you know, we're, the corn growers want clean water. We're, we're, we support the Clean Water Act. Um, but we want the EPA to focus on navigable waters. Um, some of these femoral uh, wetland areas that they, uh, that they think uh, um, should fall under jurisdiction because once a year or once every other year, um, there might be a little water there. Um, is is a, a reach for us, and so we basically told them that uh, uh, we want to work with them. Um, but what they're trying to do right now, uh, the Supreme Court has, uh, you know, stepped in before and said that's an overreach, and and so we we think it's an overreach again. Well, and that overreach is the key, Chris. I know NCGA has been really vocal about talking about this significant nexus test and why that should not be brought back in to the the next WOTUS. Can you tell us why? Why are you so concerned about significant nexus? How does that change things for a farmer going out there taking a look at his land? Well, because it it basically gives the EPA total control of, of any time, any place that they've ever seen water stand. Um, whether it's in your road ditch, whether it's in your yard, um, you know, any waterways, um, anything like that, that they would they would then have control and must follow, um, you know, all kinds of rules that uh, um, most of the time are are not relevant. Um, and you know, they it's, we've got a lot of water in the United States, and a lot of places water stands and flows and moves, and and we feel that uh, let's focus on navigable waters. Let's focus on areas that. Uh, really have an impact on the economy and and uh, the consumer and and not on areas that that don't have much water very often 
Yeah, that's that's the that's how it ought to be looked at, you'd think. But Chris, agriculture obviously hugely impacted by the rewrite of WOTUS, but so is land development. We talked uh, about the National Association of Counties several weeks ago. These rewrites certainly make it difficult for any of the folks to do business. When you are talking to WOTUS, when NCGA is in D.C. talking about these issues, what other industries have come along to to sort of fight with the ag industry? Is there anybody uh, it's really jumped out as as a fellow? supporter well you you touched on one right there with the home builders associations and, and in fact um when i was uh on the testifying there on tuesday afternoon there were a couple of people from home builders that uh, stepped right into that that particular session they have multiple sessions but um yeah they're 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 facing some of the same challenges because as they do construction or redevelopment in areas um they water may move water may be standing because of of work that's being done um before finished work and so it's crowded a lot of problems for them and and yeah we've got a lot of other other friends um you know out there that uh, that step up and talk just not just agriculture and you know the our side, let's use a common sense approach. Um, a paintbrush approach in agriculture or in the United States doesn't work very good, Mike. I think you know that. Um, we have such a wide geography, a wide range of weathers, that to just use a paintbrush approach and not give the states and the local authorities uh, the ability to come in and make some adjustments um, just just doesn't work very well on, on almost anything we do. No, it, it doesn't. We are a pluralistic society. It certainly helps to have uh, have rules that recognize that. Chris, as you look out here over the remainder of the springtime, what's the timeline here for WOTUS with the EPA? Mike, we're dealing with the EPA. Uh, <laughs> the timeline is, I, I'm not sure. You know, they're still in their hearing mode, and then they then they have a window, and and um, we've got lots of experience with the EPA missing their deadlines and missing their windows. Um, they'll come out with something. Um, I do know they're getting a lot of feedback. They've been doing a lot of work on this. Um, and I think uh, hopefully they're getting the message loud and clear that uh, what we had a few years ago uh, is better than what's proposed today. And Chris, you mentioned they've got a couple windows. One of those is open right now. If I understand it, it's the comment period. If growers have concerns about how WOTUS might impact their farms, this is the time to get those comments submitted to the EPA, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. And National Corn Growers, along with a lot of other people, are submitting a multi-page you know, testimony um, on where we can and where we can't work together on things like that. Um, those hearings, like the one I did, you only get three minutes. And Mike, you and I are gonna talk longer than that this morning on this topic. So three minutes doesn't give you a lot of time to argue your case. Um, so the written comments are, are the way to get even some additional wording in there. And, and everybody can do that if they, if they choose. Absolutely. And I, I was talking to somebody over there at NCGA earlier this morning. They said they will have comments up on their website tomorrow. If anybody's a corn grower wants to get comments submitted to the EPA, that is a good place to go to do it. Boy, Chris, uh, I imagine you are going to be dealing with this issue throughout the remainder of the year, it sounds like. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that it's going to be around a while. And and uh, that's just the nature of the business we're in. Things move pretty slow, even when people want them to move fast. That is the truth. Chris Edgington, president of the National Corn Growers Association, thanks for taking the time to give us an update on what you talked about in D.C. Anytime. And folks, stick around. When we return, Scott Gertz, economist at the American Soybean Association, will join us to look at the economics of soy. Stay with us on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Each and every day, DTN and Progressive Farmer editors are posting unique, original content to their website at DTNPF.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day -day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom, covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crops, cattle, equipment technology, and more. You'll find innovative topics like, would you plant soybeans in December? 
Experiments look at the possibility of boosting yields with early planting. Want to save time? Learn how through autonomous machinery systems. Will there be a surge in feed prices in 2021? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? The editors of DTN and Progressive Farmer are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit DTNPF.com today. Oh, nice engine. Supercharged? Yep. High porosity and aggregates? Yep. Porous medium for gas exchange? Uh-huh. Microbial catalytic potential and repository for carbon and nitrogen? Check, check, and check. Oh, man, that is good under the hood. And to think I used to be impressed with hammies. So, when was the last time you looked under the hood at your farm's production engine? At your soil? Is it as healthy and productive as it can be? Stop by your local USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out and unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by NRCS and this radio station. Fifty-four. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... <laughs> hey, listen, it's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Hello, folks, and welcome back to AOA. The conversation continues, and we're going to take our focus over to the soybean market next. Scott Gerlt, he's the economist with the American Soybean Association, joins me this morning. He's been giving presentations on the economics of soy. And, Scott, we heard news from the USDA earlier this month that the 2021 U.S. soybean crop was the largest in history. It's been a good year to be a soybean grower, hasn't it? Oh, Mike. Yeah, thanks for having me. And yes, yes, it has. It's been great to see um, these prices. Uh, it's been great to see record production. Um, lots of exciting things going on, expansion in the industry. Um, so there's lots of great things going on. But I would be remiss if I didn't point out, though, that input costs have gone up quite a bit as well. So even though we're seeing higher prices, um, it's not you know, all just uh, adding to the bottom line, unfortunately. But yeah, there's there's lots to be excited about here. There are, Scott. As you look out, input prices, you know, we could devote, we have devoted a lot of conversations to rising input prices. Let's set that to the side. Looking out to 2022, Scott, what aspects of the soy complex have you excited for potential growth this year? Um, yeah, so, I mean, you know, soybean, growing soybeans is really growing two products, the meal and the oil. And really uh, what's driving a lot of growth right now is the oil side. Um, crush margins have been high, mainly because of the um, demand for the oil. Um, it went from 30 to 35% of the value of, of the crush to over half. It's come down some because meal prices have, have gone up um, because of some international situations. Um, but really, it's um, demand for oil um, potentially coming online with uh, biofuels. Now, to date, we haven't seen an overall increase in oil to biofuels. We've seen some switching between renewable diesel and uh, uh, biodiesel, but there's also been some short crops internationally of some other vegetable oils, such as palm and canola, 
um, for various reasons due to weather or COVID issues. Um, so there's been a lot of uh, just pressure in that market. And, you know, it's interesting, you mentioned those competing veg oils, you know, namely palm oils, the one we hear a lot about, Scott, that industry, I, I know it has had a lot of troubles this past year. Do you see palm oil production ramping up? Is it going to be a threat to bean oil consumption? No, I, I don't think so. I mean, they are still having issues um, with production, specifically in Malaysia. That's they're the second largest producer, and they've had trouble getting immigrants in because of COVID. The country essentially locked down, um, and they they need that immigrant labor for their harvest. Um, so it's you know the situation doesn't look to be changing very quickly over there. So I don't think palm is going to really capture a lot of uh, market share domestically um, from soybean oil. All right. So bean oil looks like it's got the edge. Scott, I want to talk to you about exports. Had a big export sale to Mexico. We've seen China step back into the game. Boy, the export picture three months ago wasn't looking terribly rosy for 2022, but it seems as though that's changing. Yeah, it it, it has. Um, and we started off the marketing year slow. And part of that was Hurricane Ida. Damaged a lot of the facilities in the Gulf. Um, damaged a lot of barges that are used on the um, on the river um, to get beans down there. We didn't see quite the slow uh, export pace in the Pacific Northwest. You, that obviously didn't have those issues. Um, so we've seen the pace pick up quite a bit at this point. We're we're not at the pace we were last year. Um, last year was just such a great year, but we are at around a five-year average pace at this point. Um, China's hog herd is back. Uh, you know, oftentimes the past few years, we like to think about and talk about the, the trade war, and that was certainly going on. Um, but sometimes it gets lost in the conversation that China's hog herd was devastated from African, African swine fever. Um, but they've regrown that herd really to the point now that their margins are um, negative to some degree on their hogs. They've over-expanded. So there's a lot of demand for feed. There could be some correction in China just because of the size of their herd, but there's a definite need for uh, feed, for beans going forward from them. And the other thing uh, with China right now, too, is we have reached the end of the um, trade commitment levels with them from phase one. Um, but the agreement does specify that the trajectory is supposed to continue over the next few years. Uh, so, so, you know, it, it's hard to know. It's impossible to know exactly what's going to happen with China um, politically the next few years. But, you know, all signs point to them right now needing uh, the, the beans. So I, I expect that to continue. That is good news. You know, that African swine fever in, well, all of Asia, not just China. Of course, it hit Vietnam. It, mm -hmm. I, I think it hit Korea. We had it in Malaysia. We had it in the Philippines. Looking out as that whole area of the globe recovers from African swine fever, do you see their their diets changing? Are they adding more poultry? Are they adding more U.S. beef? Are there ways for U.S. soy to gain more inroads into some of these Eastern uh, Asian countries? Yeah, um, yeah, well, it's, I mean, definitely, as, as these economies develop, um, as, as incomes continue to go up, um, there's a, a demand for protein, which the soybean provides. And so that's, we do expect for there to be long-term growth in a lot of those areas as, as their incomes continue to go up. Um, you know, and, and going back to China, pork is such an important part of the diet there that I, I really don't think the Chinese government would um, do anything to really compromise um, the availability of pork domestically. So they're going to continue to need those uh, feed rations. Um, they they have been going away from soil feeding, um, you know, backyard uh, hogs to commercial facilities. That, a lot of that has already taken place. And so those, those hogs will continue to need um, uh, feed grains and uh, in, in the meals from oil or from soil. It is... It is incredible, Scott, how modernizing those hogs' rations can move a lot more bean oil when they're not eating swill, you know, out of the trough in the backyard anymore. They got to buy buy some feed grains from us. And I wanted to ask you, Scott, as right. we look ahead to this year, massive production in domestic soybeans 2021. 2022, you talk to bean growers all over the country. Do you have any acreage expectations as of yet? Yeah, it's... And that's a great debate among, I think, economists right now, what to expect there. I think we could see a, a few more acres than we had this year. Um, you know, it's and it's very pretty widely what people expect. Um, you know, the thing that oftentimes gets brought up is the high cost of fertilizer, and that will move 
um, a lot of acres out of corn to beans. But the thing you also have to remember is where the um, harvest prices are for corn and beans right now. Um, if you looked at that in isolation, that would favor corn. Um, so, I, you, you know, you can pay for some of the fertilizer costs um, that corn would have just from that differential. So I, I do think we could see more bean acres, but I don't know that it's going to be a large shift. You know, I, um, I, you know, we did 87.2 planted uh, this year, 87.2 million. So I think, you know, we could see 88 or maybe a little bit more potentially, but I, I wouldn't, I haven't gotten carried away with what I would expect for the switch at this point. Okay, not a massive move into beans, but mm -hmm. that could always change. Scott, the situation down in South America with Brazil and Argentinian drought could intensify. Do you have a read on what the crop might look like coming out of South America as of yet? Oh, man, that's, I mean, the last WASDI, that was really the story, wasn't it? I mean, um, the USDA dropped the South American production by 9.5 million metric tons. Yeah, it, it, if that keeps uh, deteriorating, it's going to continue to favor soy more and more, which will push more acres than up here to try to um, do some of that, overcome some of that shortfall. Um, you know, um, it's, I, I think a lot of analysts are expecting that number to continue to drop. Um, but, you know, um, the January numbers haven't always been the best indicator of where things end up. There's been some corrections. Um, so you can definitely continue to watch that, but I think there's some expectation that that could continue to fall and push up bean prices. Okay. All right. We'll have to continue watching that South American situation. Scott, I wanted to ask, as we get into 2022, it's midterms politically, and then it's farm bill time. On the farm bill, mm -hmm. has ASA started any work as of yet, or are you guys waiting to see how the elections shake out? Oh, Mike, we have definitely gotten to work. Um, we are uh, engaging in uh, setting up our, our priorities for the farm bill. Uh, so we've been uh, listening to members, um, doing survey work, and we're setting up the priorities um, to to see what we're going to see what soybean farmers want and make sure we carry that forward. Um, you know, soybe, soybeans um, unfortunately did not receive any ARC or PLC payments um, during the, the trade war. Uh, you know, some of the worst times for soybeans a long time when profits ran in the negative. Um, you know, those those payments were triggered, and so. I think um, you know we're very cognizant of that. That maybe there needs some, to be some refinement um, to make sure that during times like that there is some uh, safety net. So yeah, we've started work, um, and we're looking to we're looking to go uh, full steam ahead here. Full steam ahead, boy! It's hard to believe that farm bill will be on us again before we know it. Scott Geralt of the American Soybean Association, thanks for giving us an update on soybeans. Well, thank you for so much for having me, Mike. And folks, stick around when AOA returns. Jackie Fatka of Farm Progress will join me to give us an update on what's happening in Washington, D.C. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. When you choose the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, you're choosing exceptional weed control. It controls more weeds than any other soybean system and offers up to 14 days of soil activity on certain small-seeded broadleaf weeds. Plus, you get triple tolerance to dicamba, glyphosate, and glufosinate when used with Extend Flex soybeans. The Roundup Ready Extend crop system, the system of choice. Claims are based on approved EPA herbicide labels as of January 2021. Pair with a strong weed management program. Always follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and all other stewardship practices. They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of Bayer plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Let's work through Thursday's trade. Very quiet action with quarter soybeans mixed. Wheat is slipping a little bit lower in Chicago and Kansas City wheat. Now, soybean futures surged higher Wednesday mid reports that soybean offers have been withdrawn in Brazil. 
Farmers are refusing to sell. They believe that drought damage in southern Brazil is much greater than previously believed, which could necessitate higher prices down the road. To be sure, the harvest is gaining momentum in central and western Brazil with generally good yields reported there. may be true the damage is more significant in southern areas. We'll have to see. The other issue, of course, the Russia-Ukraine conflict, that weighed on the market trade yesterday. And those two factors combined, along with inflation pressures, helped give us a lot of momentum on the day on Wednesday. Now, that spilled into the overnight trade where we held fairly firm. And now today, still holding fairly firm, minus some of the sell-off here early in the wheat markets. It'll be interesting to see how these news items work with each other. But today, so far, no fresh news to really give us much direction in our grain and livestock markets. Some of the numbers in the trade right now, March core down three, 607 and a half. July core down three and a half, 603 and three quarters. March soybeans five and three quarters higher, 1397. July up five and a half, 1412. March bean meal down 230 a ton, 396. March bean oil up 104.6180. March Chicago wheat eight and a half lower, 788. March Kansas City wheat eight lower, 792. March Minneapolis spring wheat down one and three quarters at 938. February lean hogs 70 higher at 83 even this hour. January feeder cattle down 15, 161.25. February live cattle 27 lower, 138.27 as we see mixed action in livestock. Crude oil down six cents at 86.90. You're listening to AOA. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We, we win. We, 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 we are, are the, the foundation, foundation fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA today. Next, we are going to take a look at what is going on in Washington, D.C., and there's no shortage of things happening in our nation's capital. To bring us up to speed, Jackie Fatka, the farm policy editor with Farm Progress, joins me today. Jackie, we're one year into the Biden administration. I know you recently did an in-depth look at how this first year has gone under President Joe Biden, especially as it relates to climate change. Can you fill us in? What have you been learning here after a year of President Biden? Well, you know, I um, it's always good to take a look back. And, um, you know, I, I wrote something uh, January 26th, uh, first week into his office on what we could expect on climate change. And um, fortunately, some of the worst things haven't happened and some of the things that we were hopeful for uh, are, are, are happening, right? So uh, Secretary Vilsack, uh, not new to this role of USDA secretary um, and, and definitely came in to hit the ground running when it comes to climate change. And, and really, I think in the, the end, the big picture for farmers is he understands farmers. He understands that a regulatory framework demanding something of farmers isn't going to be able to work. And so he's been very uh, vocal about the need for voluntary incentive-based. Uh, he's he's tried to divert some more money to climate smart actions and encouraging farmers to increase their adoptions of, of those actions and also trying to take on the um, you know, encouraging cover crops. And so, you know, I think last year, a lot of folks were really scared about the Biden administration's 30 by 30 plan, which is to conserve 30% of the nation's land and waters by 2030. I think a lot of people thought that that meant the government was going to come in and, and take your land away. 
And this new 30 by 30 is the, uh, you know, 30 30 million acres of cover crops by 2030. And I think a lot of farmers would probably get behind that. And uh, Secretary Vilsack is actually, um, I'm taking a break right now. I was just listening in. He's before the House Agriculture Committee this morning talking about all things agriculture, too. All right. Yeah. Secretary Vilsack has been out really promoting the uh, the climate advantages of the Biden plan. Looking out through 2022, Jackie, it sounds like this focus on climate is is here to stay with this administration. Would you agree? I, I would definitely agree with that. And I think we're going to see some more um, opportunities to expand on that. And as we head into 2023 and uh, what this might look like in the new farm bill, obviously conservation has been an important component of all the discussions. But, you know, a lot of times we have to make sure that we maintain the crop insurance program and maintain the Title I uh, protections what, through the safety net in the farm bill. And so how conservation shift within that discussion you know do we do we make more money go towards conservation and maybe less money for crop insurance or the traditional safety net i think that will be an important discussion as we go forward I think you're right. I think those discussions are getting started, Jackie, and that definitely sounds like where the change may be happening. Since I've got you, and I'm really excited to talk to Jackie Fatka, I wanted to ask you about Senator Grassley's Cattle Price Transparency Act. Have you heard anything more in Washington? Has the the voting rights vote soured the mood in D.C. to get anything done bipartisanly? No, I think they're kind of used to this, right? <laughs> they're used to having some of these completely political votes. Um, I think uh, this discussion over uh, the cattle markets is is not going away. Uh, I think the big part of that, too, is LMR is the livestock mandatory reporting expires when the continuing resolution does. And so I think we'll see here if we'll have some more momentum. But there's bipartisan support for that. Um, but, you know, this concentration, this whole discussion on competition, I mean, President Biden had an over 90 minute press conference on Wednesday night, and he even talked about expensive hamburger and um, the, the fact that it's because there's not enough players in the market who were making that hamburger. Um, so obviously, when you have a president who's talking about expensive hamburger and uh, the White House fact sheet is essentially endorsing the Grassley bill, we we could see it in the Grassley, remember, is Republican. And so uh, this is something that does have bipartisan support, but it's not, it doesn't have industry consensus. And so I think that that's where we're going to have to see, you know, does it do more harm than good? Um, obviously, the government coming in sometimes seems okay, but in hindsight, sometimes that messes things up more. And so I think there, there should be some good discussion on that. There was a House Judiciary hearing even on Wednesday this week talking about concerns of competition in the food supply chain. And so there is a lot more focus even beyond just the Senator Grassley-Fisher bill. Well, that, that's the truth. This focus on competition um, or, or on antitrust, I guess, monopolies and, uh, and that sort of thing has really taken hold in D.C. on the regulatory side. Jackie, uh, is there anything happening there with regard to you know, breaking up large scale businesses that, that farmers need to know about? You know, right now, I think there's just a lot of positioning. So we're not hearing the administration come in and say, well, we're going to break up the, the seed companies or do anything to those big four, we call them a lot, in the meat processing sector. But they are, they're, they're definitely getting talked about. And the Department of Justice and USDA have set up a hotline to try to help that if farmers do feel like they've been treated, mistreated, that they have the ability to to tell somebody, right? And I think sometimes we feel like the little guy has no one who's looking out for them. And so I think they're trying to do what they can to help the little guy. Um, but, you know, right now, I, I think we're still, we're still just kind of getting our bearings of where they're going to head with this. And I don't see anything draconian yet. Um, but definitely a lot of focus on competition. I mean, it, President Biden continues to say, you know, make comments about capitalism, and but capitalism without, um, you know, it's exploitation. And so, you know, that's a, a common phrase that he's saying, you know, it's one thing to, to have a capitalist society, but if you are taking advantage of others, then that's not fair. But 
but what is fair? You know, that's, that's, that's part of this discussion. And I think, you know, there, everybody wants there to be a level playing field, but efficiencies are created with some of these, these larger entities. And sometimes those efficiencies are, are good. That's what you need. And so if you create government regulatory actions or legislative actions that limit that ability to be efficient, which in the Grassley bill is limiting the use of marketing arrangements, then, you know, what does that cost the producer? Does that cost them more or less? You know, last week I was at the Farm Bureau Convention and they, uh, a researcher from Colorado State said it could cost producers $50 in losses if we actually had those AMAs go away. Yeah, the discussion about how that bill could impact the industry is is really starting to heat up. I saw a press release yesterday. University of Arkansas has been doing some some price research on what could happen if the Cattle Price Transparency Act were to come through. And I just started digging into it. I, I don't know if it's public yet, but as, as we get more insight, we'll be sure to share it here on the show. Jackie, other than the cattle price bill, what other legislative actions relating to agriculture are on the docket, or at least could be on the docket in uh, Capitol Hill. You know, so as I mentioned, the continuing resolution, which was funding the government, expires here in February. So uh, we're going to see some more of that picking up here within the next couple of weeks, because hopefully we will fund the government through the rest of the year. So uh, the question is, uh, you know, some of that is is just the amount of money that that would be that would be um, allocated to some traditional things, but also, you know, you you see some newer things. So I'm not hearing tons of big changes in that, Um, you know, something that Congress approved last year um, and and USDA is working on it. So it's not necessarily legislative, but they're working on getting the disaster aid out. So there was $10 billion in disaster aid for those folks who were hit with tornadoes and hurricanes and drought and derechos. And and so we're we're hoping to see that out here. Secretary Vilsack just said this morning they're hoping to see that out here in the spring um, for those livestock producers who were hit and those crop producers that were hit. And, um, you know, really, I think a lot of stuff on the legislative side for 2022 is going to be marker bills. Um, not a lot that's going to actually probably get across the finish line just by the fact that we're now to 2022 and it's a midterm election. So anytime it's a court election year, it's harder to get things done. Absolutely. Jackie, what's a marker bill? Um, A marker bill is basically something just to um, kind of make your mark, right? So this is a proposed policy. Let's talk about it. Let's maybe Grassley, for instance, Grassley had a marker bill that he introduced last year. Senator Fisher introduced a similar bill, and then they compromised. So sometimes a marker bill is a way to put down your mark. Here's here's a here's a first stab at how we could approach this policy and ways that we could adjust it or change it come after that. So you see marker bills that sometimes end up getting rolled into the farm bill or things that will get rolled into other vehicles that move. So it's, it's in a way making your mark on what you think the policy should be. Well, thank you for explaining. That's one of those places where my ignorance of politics comes out. I wanted to ask you, you mentioned the continuing resolution. Is that a a place where they can substantially change what's written or funded? Or is it just a, this was the amount, we're going to continue this amount for the rest of the year? I mean, they can make it either way. They could um, have a whole new bill or they could just see, okay, well, this is what, you know, right now, typically the fiscal year runs from um, October 1st through September 31st. So, you know, you're already several months into this first year. So it, it, it can go either way. I would expect them to just continue as is with maybe a few tweaks. All right. Well, as they continue to make actions, Jack, we'll continue to count on you to give us an update. Thanks for joining us. All right. Thank you. And folks, stick around. When AOA returns, Greg Solier from This Week in Agribusiness will join us to give us an update on the weather. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. 
Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too, through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. As a truck driver, I've learned how important road safety is. I know that large trucks need more time and room to stop. That's why I always hang back and follow other vehicles at a safe distance. Everyone can help keep our roads safe. Next time you're driving, try to remember to always give trucks extra space when you merge in front of them. Let's all plan to share the road safely. Learn how at www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. When you choose the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, you're choosing exceptional weed control. It controls more weeds than any other soybean system and offers up to 14 days of soil activity on certain small-seeded broadleaf weeds. Plus, you get triple tolerance to dicamba, glyphosate, and glufosinate when used with Extend Flex soybeans. The Roundup Ready Extend crop system, the system of choice. Claims are based on approved EPA herbicide labels as of January 2021. Pair with a strong weed management program. Always follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and all other stewardship practices. They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of Bayer plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Every day, DTN and Progressive Farmer editors are posting unique original content to their website at DTNPF.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day -day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crop, cattle, equipment, technology, and more. They are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit DTNPF.com today. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Every Tuesday, we're sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS, where we'll be talking with folks from throughout the cooperative system. Join us as we discover what makes cooperatives unique when there are more options to do business with than ever before. We'll learn how farmers and ranchers like you benefit from a system where decisions are made by the members that own it. Tune in every Tuesday for Around the Table or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. 
Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. It's another cold day here across the mid part of the country. Had a couple conversations this morning with farmers and every single one of them said their tractors did not want to fire up this morning. It was negative eight degrees here in central Iowa. Joining me to talk weather, it's Greg Solier, meteorologist from this week in agribusiness. Greg, how long is this cold sticking around? Well, the cold, my friend, is uh, wide and far-reaching and will stick around here for the foreseeable future, although some ebbing and flowing of the cold. That's usually a typical trademark of uh, uh, this time of the year across uh, at least parts of the Dakotas, Minnesota, the upper Midwest, and it's pretty amazing to see how some of the coldest readings this morning that were anywhere between about 25 and 35 degrees below zero actual air temperatures we're over some of the heavier snow-covered areas of eastern North Dakota, uh, northern and western Minnesota, and northward up into the Canadian Prairie. Uh, but uh, better enough with uh, near-zero readings all the way into the parts of northern uh, Missouri, the central parts of the plains, patchy snow cover there at best. And that's the story across South Dakota and actually points all the way southward, kind of putting things into perspective on how far-reaching this cold is. There are advisories and the likelihood of first some snow all the way down into South Texas Citrus. That's north and northwest of Brownsville, by the way. Lower Rio Grande Valley, then a pretty good freeze there. And there are winter weather advisories, storm watches, warnings for snow all the way to the Outer Banks coastal sections of the Carolinas. That is a fur piece of cold air, my friend, across the heartland. Oh, my goodness. Snow in South Texas. Holy cow, yeah. Greg. It's been a while since that's happened. Yeah, although you recall, I think it was uh, two years ago when we had that record-setting cold snap and preceding it, the ice storm, where you know fuel and oil rigs and all that, and along with livestock as well, and uh, the uh, winter vegetable operations were just devastated by that cold. So it's been you know not all that while, that long, all that long since we've seen at least some wintery precipitation down there. But uh, you know it's it's uh, not a regular event in the wintertime season. But again, testimony to sometimes how deep and far-reaching this cold is. But there will be by the way, quick turnaround. It's always windblown across the upper Midwest, the northern plains of Dakota Territory, and we'll likely see at least a brief reprieve west to east, but wind issues coming into play as we move on the next oh, 36 to 48 hours. Well, that'll be good news for a lot of folks, particularly in the Dakotas, where that cold wind has been blowing hard. But Greg, you know, just as, as soon as I said, oh, it's been a while since we've had snow in South Texas, I thought about that Texas freeze and frost that happened, yeah, almost exactly two years ago. Is this cold air... Uh, potentially going to cause that kind of risk again as it stretches this far south? I, I don't think it'll come with the you know severity that preceded that cold two years ago. That was a significant ice and snowstorm. This will be a few flakes, uh, you know, <laughs> relatively speaking, you know, a few spots, a little freezing moisture. For us, no big deal. You know, that's like a walk in the park uh, this time of the year for our neck of the woods. But for down there, obviously. But I think they're well prepared. It won't have the length, the duration, the severity, the scope of winter precip. I mean, that was a widespread snow and ice storm that preceded uh, that cold. But, uh, yeah, an, uh, an ugly reminder of two years ago. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's, uh, we get into these uh, weather patterns once in a while, and you just sort of stick around. And speaking of sticking stick around, it really, really, really will be the, the, the Missouri River Valley that's kind of going to be the debarkation line and points to the east where this cold air kind of be resurgent redeveloping in and out and more on than off here in the coming weeks to 10 days and there'll be again some sense of a reprieve once in a while back west of the Missouri River and it's amazing how these cold air masses lose their identity when they get over bare grounds the lack of snow cover is very evident on satellite pictures across the plains parts of the western and southern Dakotas sections of the central corn belt as well Illinois Indiana and Ohio there's been more snow on the ground for a while a couple of days ago on Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia than there was over parts of the Plains and Midwest. One of these are goofy uh, wintertime seasons across uh, much of the nation. But uh, again, a brief reprieve, but overall cold in the eastern half of the country. Some moderation of the cold once in a while as you get into the Plains and points on westward. Well, you talked about that snow stretching all the way down to the delta parts of Mississippi and Arkansas. That is incredible. Greg, do you see any other snow events coming well for anybody here in the, uh, over the next four or five days? Yeah, you know, just, just, just these little weak disturbances, we call them perturbations, upper waves that may from time to time generate a little dusting to a short inch or two, and we might actually see some of those as far south as the central core belt. We talk about that because there's been no snow. You know, I think they're running 10, 12 inches shy of snowfall into parts of the central corn belt while preceding this January, December was a mild and wet one, parts of November as well. So their moisture is in good shape. 
Snow's just been on the deficit side, but nothing major per se. We've got one system coming on through a week one over the weekend, another one between late Sunday and Monday. That could bring down some uh, light accumulating snowfall, a couple of three or four inches, parts of the Dakotas, Minnesota, uh, through Wisconsin, the Great Lakes region. There'll be one more in a warm front uh, Thursday, Friday, mainly across the Canadian prairie. And it is that warm front, per se, in quotes, that will turn temperatures around. Uh, again, further evaporation, sublimation, drawdown of whatever snow cover we have in the high plains areas, northern and central areas, and maybe a little slight reduction on the snowpack uh, through the uh, northern plains, Red River Valley, and points on eastward. But again, not a long-lasting thaw anticipated there. It'll be, again, western half the country, east still cold, and uh, not much additional moisture, mind you, for uh, California. They had a big December moisture season, the same with the Pacific Northwest. It's been three to four weeks. If you take their rain season up to April 1, they only have about half of what they normally should pick up this time of the year. And that's the equivalent now of about 12 or 13, 14 inches of water equivalency. So we talk about the West. Because the snowpack, the snowpack uh, leads to runoff and irrigation opportunities. And again, that will be an ongoing dryness and drought pattern there. And still through Montana and the western half of the country, we do not see big improvement there here in the coming days or weeks there, Mike. Oh, that is frustrating. Greg was talking to a couple producers from North Dakota and just the devastation they suffered in that drought last year, particularly the western two-thirds of the state. I mean, it was, it was really frustrating. But we're seeing similar dryness down in the southern plains. Greg, any relief for those folks? Uh, not at all. That's a trademark of La Nina. You and I talked about that on this week in agribusiness. And again, after a nice late November, December, lots of yellows and reds on this morning's drought monitor across Nebraska, building over the high plains areas of Colorado, uh, New Mexico, Texas. They had a, at least a minimal improvement there, but they're back into the severe to extreme drought category. Same with the rest of Nebraska. And we're ebbing back and forth. We have fourth, that is, but still some big issues with drought from Montana and Western. Only slight improvement. That's because of moisture in the ground and still on the ground across parts of the eastern Dakotas, western Minnesota, that Red River Valley corridor. But yeah, more dryness and drought to be talked about here in the weeks to come over the western and southern parts of the country, sir. Well, we'll be keeping an eye on it. Greg Solier, meteorologist on This Week in Agribusiness. Thanks for joining us. And folks, tune in tomorrow. We'll talk waterway rebuilding on AOA. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Considering an online pharmacy? Explore BeSafeRx to find useful information and resources to help you purchase medicines safely online. A safe online pharmacy requires a doctor's prescription, has an address in the United States, has a licensed pharmacist, and is licensed by a state pharmacy board. It's best to stay away from online pharmacies that don't meet these criteria. Discover more helpful tips and resources at BeSafeRx. Go to FDA.gov slash BeSafeRx. Hey, wouldn't it be great if life came with a remote control? You know, you could hit pause when you needed to or hit rewind. Like that time you knocked down that wasp's nest. Uh-oh. Well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome. But pre-diabetes does. With early diagnosis and a few healthy changes, you can stop pre-diabetes before it leads to type 2 diabetes. To learn your risk, take the one-minute test today at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners.